Hey y'all, my name is Amina and this is Mina's Mic. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Your presence is very much appreciated. On this podcast, I will discuss everything surrounding society and culture from my perspective as a young black woman. One of the biggest realizations that I've had on my journey of consciousness is that it's all connected, as in the earth, the universe, and most importantly, the people or the collective. And if you haven't noticed, there have been some astronomical changes taking place, things that we are all experiencing simultaneously. The collective is finally breaking away from the shackles of the society that we once knew. Now in this season, it's all a collective, we gonna get into it, so grab a cup and join a conversation, cause I'm about to spill the tea. Why is my existence not evidence of my survival? Why is my potential strictly limited by my circumstances? Or better yet, why is this limitation not evidence of your restriction? Why is it that your dreams are limitless and mine are simply confined to obtaining that freedom? Or better yet, why am I punished for not having the privilege to dream while you're applauded for living in a dreamland, dazed by your power and simultaneously withholding mine? Why is it that you target me as the criminal when you are the thief? You stole so much, it feels like you stole my soul from me. Why are you free? Welcome and welcome back, everyone. I hope you are all doing well. Today, we are defining systemic oppression. Thus far, we have touched on many of these issues that we'll be discussing in today's episode. However, I believe that a lot of these words and phrases that we use are sometimes expressed and not explained. And I think that it is um, that's where a lot of confusion comes into play. Other times, people just choose not to listen to our explanations, but that's besides the point. Um, and we do have some more guest speakers today from Black Lives Matter. We have Ivan, Jennifer, and Layla. Um, just a little disclaimer, if you're a person with privilege, if you're white, non-black, light-skinned, cisgendered, heterosexual, able-bodied, or all of all of the above, um, I encourage you to just listen with open ears and especially with an open heart. The purpose of this is for us to learn and grow as a collective. So with that being said, hey guys, how y'all doing? How y'all hi everybody thank you amina for having us again you know i love what you're doing like really creating these platforms uh, safe spaces for us to combat these issues um like there's not enough things i can give out to you um i'm feeling good i'm excited to to get into this and talk about yeah i'm so excited to be here with like such wonderful people thank you amina for once again providing your um platform and yeah like Layla mentioned i'm i'm just ready to start you're welcome love to hear that um at this point y'all aren't even guests anymore y'all might as well just be co-hosts but anyway um can all of you define your own words what systemic oppression is um we can start with Layla. Um, okay, so for me, I feel like it's just like such systemic oppression is such a, a thing to tackle, but I feel like it's a collection of elements that are organized for a common purpose. And so like racism in America is a system that combines economic, political and social components. And that system specifically disempowers and disenfranchises black people while maintaining and expanding employment implicit and explicit advantages for white people um and you know i'll get back on that what i mean by that later um we could hear everybody else wow Layla, that was so good um i kind of needed a moment to think about this question but everything um i agree with everything Layla says and yeah 
um, systemic oppression is basically just everything, all all forms of ways that you can oppress people and hold people in a box and just keep them trapped there. It basically embodies all of that. So we have oppression and education, you know, the health industry, um, poverty, and this all works collectively to disproportionate, um, dis- disproportionately um, affect um, Black people um, the most. Uh, other minorities as well, but most importantly, Black Thank you, thank you. Um, so I researched a little article. Um, hold on, I'm going to invite Ivan to speak one more time. Um, so I researched an article, and it basically get, said exactly what all of you all said. Um, so it says, systemic oppression is systematic and has historical ascendance. Um, it is the intention of disadvantaging of groups of people based on their identity while advantaging members of the dominant group, as in gender, race, class, sexual orientation, language, etc. Um, hey, Kenya, I'm going to invite you to speak. Um, so, yeah, we could just go down the line and talk about the different forms of oppression. So I think racism is like um, the easiest one for us to talk about. So we could just start with that. Whoever wants to go first can go first um, in explaining racism. Um, I can talk first, if that's okay. Yeah. So I feel like racism, like to really combat it, we really have to go back into the past and deal with the harm of tracing back to this country's origins. And racism has played like an active role on every system that we live in. So whether that's the education system, healthcare, ownership, employment, um, and every like other facet of life since this nation's founding. And um, when it comes to like racism as well, like we see it with the policing, like they are very aggressive with the black and brown communities. Although, you know, this is the reason why, you know, like basically like what Tupac has preached, like thug life, like, you know, little infants come back and fuck everybody. This is like real life because what the system has planted inside of our communities have came back to haunt society. And so, you know, I think like it's very important to talk about what racism and how racism has impacted like brown and black people specifically. And people like to look at them like thugs and, you know, this and that and call them different slurs. But it's like at the end of the day, the only thug is the system. <laughs> like they're robbing people of their dignity, of, of their life, like literally. And then right. I, when it comes to racism, they like to use like superior superiority and like inferiority. And I feel like time and time again, just based off skin tone color, you can really get your life taken away. And like, also like the thing with like white supremacy, which has so much to do with like, you know, oppression and racism, white supremacy, they like to use tactics to kind of like make us and gaslight us into thinking that like, we are these like monsters and we are these people who like tote guns and we're a part of gangs. But it's like, realistically, like all of these have stemmed from like history and what the system has created. And we're just like, living in it and thinking that it's normal when like really it's not because if you were to go down like five blocks of suburban areas you know they're living with resources and it's true when they say like these neighborhoods like the best neighborhoods don't have the most policing they have the most resources and this all goes back to like also systemic racism like why is it that the people who need help the most don't have the most resources they have the most policing right um who wants to go next yeah go ahead there's a lot of ways that you can tackle racism. 
like in a way of explaining it but a lot of it does uh stem from a lot of stereotypes and i know that if you look in the history of like film and stuff like that if you look at uh blackface and the way that native americans are being depicted in movies and in media in general like way back when they were very derogatory of course i had the opportunity to go to the native american uh you know museum in washington dc and they have like this whole exhibit where you could walk in you could see the way that uh the culture has been uh misconstrued and like you know used as like uh you know posters basically and mascots for different teams and different things that have nothing to do with it and right a lot, a lot of you know perception of those communities of black communities of hispanic communities native american asian communities in the media when you go into you know this the future it starts to play a big role in how people perceive uh you know people of that community so if you it's kind of like if you were to see you know some a black man shooting someone else or having a game war on like some kind of tv show that you're watching as a kid or with your parents you're gonna grow up with that in mind not because it's something that you've experienced yourself but because the way the, that the media is portraying it and obviously like a lot of people are trying to get rid of that whole perception that we see now uh by trying to take that away from television and paint uh communities in a more even playing ground but then once you start to see that uh like me personally and what i tried you know to do is show people that you don't have to fit stereotypes that weren't even built on a very large basis of truth like if you if you could retrace your steps not that far back gangs didn't even start out of nowhere they started because of policing policing got too bad and then the crips started up because they felt that the government was going against them they started to abuse their power and then another gang came out the bloods trying to fight against them and then now they're going at each other but they all started because of policing because of the government of this country you know keep putting kept putting pressure on the communities and they felt that they'd feel safer by policing themselves by being with themselves by you know helping out their community in the way that they see fit obviously we know now that doesn't work out but that's it started out in that kind of vein so you you get what i mean it it's very you have to start to be able to talk to people and teach them that you don't have to fit inside a stereotype in order to be able to succeed and you got to show that um if you if people just start to see more examples of different people inside a different uh headspace you know uh inside a different uh, uh let's say job or if you see them out on the streets and you get to meet more people get to explore them, or if you begin to expose yourself to meet more people you'll see that stereotypes are really not a good way to put your basis on belief and racism in and of itself is just stupid because everybody's different that is definitely true um and I agree with that part of what you said. Um, basically, from the entirety of everything that you stated, you kind of just touched upon um, how all, you know, internal biases have roots, that they start with, you know, propaganda, um, like we're mentioning with, you know, movies and the media and things of that nature. And, you know, that just proves that bias that, you know, 
discriminatory thoughts that prejudice all is learned that it is a trained behavior not so much of an instinctive one and so therefore because it is learned it can also be unlearned um and yes it definitely definitely does have strong historical roots and that is the basis of um systemic oppression um and another thing um yeah it definitely does center the dominant group and it does you know use propaganda that paints the dominant group so since we're talking about racism it paints white people out to be you know the saints of society to be the most innocent when the truth is that they in most cases were the most brutal and the reaction of the mass majority which is referred to as the minority is just in reaction it's just a response to their you know to their um basis of you know racism and things of that nature so their aggression is just a response to their aggression um so who wants to go next with defining racism in their own words or just talking about racism um, from their own experience oh go ahead Layla. um i also too wanted to touch base on like when like the first the world's first races occurred um, cause I feel like it's super important to keep going back into history because, you know, people think like, oh, this happened so many centuries ago. Like, why does it matter today? And it's because we still practice this like on the day daily today. So Zorora, which was one of Prince Henry's, um, writers, he to me was the first racist because, you know, he, um, was a beautiful superior player through literature and he was storytelled and he created this, um, written novel called The Chronicle of the Discovery and the Conquest of Guiana. And so, although in the 1415 to the 1728, slaves were always a thing, um, and there were a lot of white slaves, he kind of changed up the, the game because capturing humans was already being practiced and he, um, made sure that he was going to brag about it and to make it missionary work once he found um, Africans. And so the mission from God to help, um, you know, criticize and to help them like be found. And so the reason that he changed the game was because he was announcing to other people, to the Spanish and to the Haitian, to the Haitians that they were, they were enslaving East Eastern Europeans as in white people. And now he has Africans whose souls needed saving and through literature, Zorora made Prince Henry to be a youth minister doing commissionary work, canvassing the streets for people who needed saving. But he was a kidnapper in reality, getting commission for every slave he had found while Zorora was being paid for his pen to write down everything. But what Zorora makes why he's the, the first first racist was because um, he was the first person to write about everything that he was doing. And he didn't defend black human ownership. He, I mean, he, and he defended black human ownership. There you go. And this single document, began the first recorded history of anti-black racist ideas and so him having this book out and it being recorded throughout the world and now shared through means that other people were coming and you know the people who were going to come to america later on were going to use these exact practices as commissionary uh, as um saving work as missionary work and they were going to help um black people be be saviors for god and you know and this also like goes back to like Christianity and and all of that too, because, you know, that plays a huge role on it. A lot of white people were using Christianity as a way of, you know, enslaving black and brown people. And, you know, we see that today when it comes to not really religion, but when it comes to white people needing to save 
black people when it comes to teachers going into the hood or when it comes to police officers trying to like save the neighborhood but like realistically like their work is actually hurting like they're not allies and to really be an ally is to study the history and to kind of reflect on like who your ancestors were as well and, and the damage they did to society and how you can you know kind of unwrite it because you know racism is a learned thing so as much as it's a learned thing you can unlearn it as well and I just feel like growing up in America the person the first person like as soon as you're born into America, whether it's in the education system, whether whether it's in the healthcare system, no matter what, you are going to have biases that, you know, as a collective, we all need to unlearn because everybody has biases in them. And it's just like, what can we do to like my question is like, what can we do as a whole to unlearn them and like really reflect on them? Right. I definitely agree. And thank you for um, your insight. Basically, what I believe to do um with unlearning these biases is really just to take the time to recognize the fact that we do have these internal biases and then we start to have conversations like this one and where we really start to unpack these things and like I was saying before in the beginning about you know if you're a privileged person and you're listening to this that you should just listen with open ears and an open heart is because like um Layla was saying in like the last episode what we're really missing is you know empathy what we what we're missing is the human aspect you know of life and I feel like with these biases um with the propaganda with you know many accounts in history is really just the dehumanization of you know other marginalized groups groups of people that really feel this you know aggression towards other people that really feel these biases because if you take away the human aspect from something if you take away you know um the value in life then you see them as you know beneath you you see them as worthless then that kind of you know just fuels your aggression like oh I could just do whatever I want or say whatever I want or think whatever I want because that individual doesn't mean anything anyway and I think um that really is the core of all of these issues um but Jen do you have any comments about racism yeah definitely um I think a big part of this like you know um, I think it was Alicia, one of the other members from the BLM Youth Council, who was saying that before, like, capitalism, there was feudalism, and there was all these, like, systems, um, like, back in the day, like, um, when, like, what Layla was saying, like, put in place to hold people down and to treat people less, um, and make it known that you were not a person, you were a commodity, you were made mm-hmm. for labor, you were made to work and that was your place. Um, and then as well, it's always been there. Um, and like Layla was saying, we have to acknowledge the history. You have to see how not these systems did not disappear. They have evolved and they have evolved so much that we're not even like able to clearly recognize them um, because we think that, you know, or like, people who don't believe in um like you know don't believe that racism is still a thing or don't aren't even aware um continue to think that we have equality or we have we all have the same access to everything um when it's not that's obviously not the reality um but it's also so hidden like you know we see it in schools we see it in public housing we see it with redlining we see it in all these forms um, and systems, and yeah, it's so, like, you know, not hidden, but it's, like, doesn't automatically click, 
um, I know when I was younger, I didn't know like why my na- like the cities neighboring were like richer. I didn't know why they didn't like I didn't know why they didn't have policing. I didn't know why their schools were better. But I just kind of like you know grew up like thinking, oh, this is normal. Like you know, it's just the way it is. When in reality, it's not. And so like you were saying, the more we talk about these this, and the more we start to break down the um like the break it down and like truly see um things for what they are like their true colors start to reveal then we can do a lot of unlearning then we can do a lot of like dismantle right um can you can go now um i also wanted to touch base on the form of racism that everybody is familiar with you're usually familiar with people you know throwing slurs at you and calling you all types of names but like Jen said, all this stuff, it evolves and it looks different over time. So when you're, for example, in school, um, a lot of people have instances where they might come from lower income communities where it's mostly populated by black and brown people. And let's say you don't understand something. I've had an instance where a teacher has access. Oh, well, what school did you go to or where did you come from? And I'm like, oh, I'm from, you know, the fat and the third. And they go like, oh, see, I can understand why it's like that. And <laughs> or they'll say stuff like, um, stuff like, uh, you speak really clearly or you speak really well. And it's um, like, how could you, what are you saying? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to know how to speak. I know how to, what do you mean by that? Right. So I don't, I think we also need to get familiar with, the fact that everything is evolving. Like you can't, yes, it's important to know other forms of racism and other forms of systemic oppression, but also learn how it looks right now. Learn what you can do to combat that right now. Cause it used to look like people throwing rocks at you and beating you up for, to go, to go vote or killing you Mm -hmm. cause you filled out the form to go vote. But now it's, um, not being subliminal. able to have voting stations where you live or having to travel uh-huh. miles and miles to be able to vote knowing that you won't be able to get there because it's super far from you. It looks different. We saw that in the last election as well. We saw all of these things come out and I think if we just pay attention and really get active, I really think we could do something about it. Yes, thank you for that. Um, you know, piggybacking off of what you said about the whole um, oh, you you speak well thing. You know, that really irks me. And I remember um I was doing community service um with my school one day and um this lady she had came from another district or something. They were doing a prom just like clothing drive or something so that, you know, seniors could come and, you know, pick prom dresses and things like that because at the end of the day, you know, they are really expensive um so yeah we were doing that and it was like near the end and we I forgot what it was that we were talking about but it was her and it was a mother and then her daughter um keep in mind they were all white and then I was the only black person in the conversation and after I had finished explaining whatever it was that I was explaining she gonna go oh you speak very well and just like looks me up and down and it's like 
in that moment, it was, I felt like a coon, honestly. I felt like I was being, you know, performative for my white audience. And it was just like, hold on, like, what she just said to me? But, you know, in that moment, I couldn't exactly articulate that. And it was just like, I was shocked. I just stood there and looked at her like, I know you ain't just say that to me in my school. Like, you're in, you're on my territory and you're disrespecting me. Like, how dare you? But, of course, if I said that, then, you know, I would have had to deal with her white fragility. And I just didn't feel like doing that. So, I just, like, I was like, well, you know, thank you, I guess. And I, I just went home and walked away. But, you know definitely racism has become very subliminal it's not as blatant as it was you know in the late 1900s and maybe even the early 2000s you know of course there are some um instances of blatant racism but at the end of the day a lot of these things are subliminal and that's why it took so long for you know i feel like our generation to really look through the veil like kenya was saying last episode it really took us you know being isolated from these institutions to really you know, address and assess these things. Um, so, Jen, do you want to talk about healthcare? I saw you talking about it in the chat. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Um, sorry, it's having trouble connecting. But yeah, like um, Kate, um, Kenya mentioned, and you were talking about like this all adds to on to like how racism has evolved. Um, and in different sectors, like, you know, today I was in a, um, in a workshop through my college and it was actual like professionals who worked like in the healthcare industry, like the tech industry, um, social media, like whatever. Um, and a lot of the, like, one of the questions, um, was like, what are you personally doing? Like as a person in power, um, in these like systems, what are you doing to combat like race, racism and social injustice? And a lot of them were like, oh, well, you know, we can do as much as, like, like we can post about it. We can do, like, basically they were saying that they could be performative, but, like, that won't do much. Um, and I was, like, thinking, because, like, we weren't about, like, allowed to speak. And I was thinking, like, if you have the authority to, like, for example, if you're, like, a a director of a program in the healthcare in industry, why not create an initiative to make sure that black um, mothers, black fathers, black children are having the access to the resources that they need? Why don't you make sure, like, why don't you make initiatives to make sure that these, the people that are most harmed are getting the resources that they need and so that this doesn't happen again and that you're not part of the problem? Right. Um, and I think a big part of this is that big companies, big like sectors and, and different fields, like they don't want to take the time out of their day and think outside of the box because it's never done before um, and say, well, I'm not personally, I'm not racist, but it's like you being in this system is, right. you know, favoring racism. It's not good to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Right. You know, and you have to start like be in innovative. Like you're in these higher positions, be innovative. And if you call yourself an ally, like you know, educate yourself. But beyond that, like do something about it, act on it. Um, and I think a lot of this this time, like especially like in the medical industry and like 
it, we see it is not even just in medicine. We see it in education in every sector. Why is it that there, we see the same problems, the same white saviorism? Why do we see um, minorities getting pushed aside? It's because people don't want to take the time to create new like initiatives because they don't think that it's going to work. And it's like, well, you are being too close-minded. Um, but yeah, just adding my my two cents. <laughs> Um, you know, I definitely agree with everything that you said. And, you know, sometimes it's not even just about um, not wanting to do it. It's not just about thinking that it's not going to work. It's just a simple fact that they don't want to. You know, just simply saying, oh, well, I'm not racist doesn't actually prove that you're not racist. The simple fact that you choose to ignore it and that you think because you said that you're not racist means anything is literally beyond me. And that just proves that you are racist. But you refuse to believe it because you know that white people get more offended by being called racist than they do by actually being racist you know what i mean and this um i remember this one time in fifth grade and we were standing in line about to you know go to the next class and one of the kids in um the line told one of the teachers and she was white by the way she he was like you're always yelling um at us or at me because you are racist and mind you we were only in fifth grade and then the lady flipped out like she blacked out she started going crazy she got mad um then she pulled him all the way out of the line didn't let him go to math and was just yelling at him while he was standing against the wall and in that moment I was like yeah she racist but again because I was only in fifth grade and because these things you know are so pushed under the rug I couldn't exactly articulate it and then it was also you know like very scary because what's going to happen to me if I try to defend him if I try to come to his rescue, you know. Um, and then another thing was that the other teacher was kind of defending her in this, but she was trying to, you know how, you know, white women, they're, like, very dismissive and very, they try to be nice, but at the same time, they're throwing shots at you. So she was trying to do that. And it was just like, our, I couldn't exactly articulate to them that what they were doing was wrong and that the simple fact that she got mad about him calling her racist just proves that she is. I couldn't exactly articulate the fact that, you know, you're RB, you are expressing your white fragility. I couldn't express that to her. And it, I just felt so bad for him because it's like, you know, you were right and you're being, you know, penalized for it. And that, you know, was really sad. Um, but yeah, going back to what you were talking about, about the healthcare system, about, you know, neglect in general, um, and, you know, tying that into the historical aspects of racism, um, you know, going back to segregation, you know, Jim Crow, all of that. So before I was so confused as to why black people wanted to be integrated into these white spaces so badly. And I was like, so hell bent on, you know, black people need their own space. We should have just stayed the way it was, the way that it was, blah, blah, blah. But then, um, you know, in taking the time to really, you know, study these issues, to study these institutions, I realized that it wasn't about wanting to be equal, not wanting to be with white people. It's not about wanting to be specifically in a white space. It's just wanting to have the same resources and opportunities as these white people do in their institutions, as opposed to we had in our, you know, strictly black institutions. And I think, you know, with that being said, um, 
we don't need segregation, but we do need separation to where, you know, certain institutions cater to certain, you know, groups of people. Because even now, even us having this conversation, you know, and just expressing these things, it just goes to show that we're not taught about our own history in school. We're not taught about these issues in school. And I feel like being, you know, people of color, being, um, people of the mass majority I don't want to say minority anymore because I'm trying to decenter whiteness right um but essentially we're being taught whitewashed history and I think that that is you know the root of a lot of ignorance right so and being separated not segregated but separated we can truly you know cater to our needs as black individuals um but another person just joined and wanted to speak so um will atl i ask that you introduce yourself and you know give your two cents because i obviously see that you're enjoying the conversation thank you for the you know introduction and you know approving me for coming up here um by the way um i'm from atlanta georgia my name is will I'm a beat maker, producer, slash artist. I work with artists such as Mulatto, Lil Baby, and everything. I ain't going too in depth with all that. The green room session, we talk about racism in general, and I just read the comments, so I'm pretty a good observer. Um, I like the way you are, you know, talking about this because a lot of people need to understand how other people's point of views or perspectives are important to hear out because deep down in somebody else's thought, they can be wanting to say it, but they might be afraid of, afraid to speak up because of people that's around them. And it's, it's okay to be like that, but in a sense, how are we going to hear your voice if you are scared to even speak up? We got to get out your comfort zone and open up to the community. And that's something we got to start learning to do. Stop trying to go out there in the big crowds when you ain't even doing nothing local. If your local community is struggling as a as a whole, as a group of people that's trying to tear each other apart based off racism, it's, it's like um, you'll never seek change. Right. To be able to work with your community, you got to keep pushing through, especially through the youth. It starts from the youth and work yourself up to the adults because when I say the youth, because it started from the youth because we are the youth. So it started from us and then continued from, you know, our parents and, you know, so on, our friends. So if we don't work on our children like we're supposed to and encourage them to do what's right and, you know, tell them about the history and instead of hiding it, because this is what the Internet is doing, is basically pushing all the history and, you know, ignoring all the voices that we really need to hear instead of all the, you know, the unnecessary. So it's like being like, uh, like you said, some, instead of being segregated, you just be separate. Because it's like some people are willing to change, but some people are still stuck in the ways where I, I hear you out, but then still want to follow the same old, same old. And that's not want to have change as um, as a human. And we all, you know, we all make mistakes, but at the same time, you got to be aware of your mistakes and what and how it treats others around you. Because you can be tearing, you can be tearing yourself apart. In the inside, but on the outside, you still think, oh, you whole. You think you all of that. You think you you can call all the shots when you're not. It's all about hearing everybody else and expressing your point of view. And um, um, I'm a recent graduate of high school. I'm pretty young. I'm 19. And uh, that's all I was basically experiencing through my life. And it's not to me personally, but that's what I saw with my own two eyes as in, like, people who've been uh-huh. – 
segregated and you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just weird because I was in a um in a club, I don't know if y'all familiar with it, but FFA um is called Futures Farmers of America. I was in that group under in high school and I got I finished the pathway and all, I got, you know, certificates with my diploma as well. And it was like it was strange to me because that group or uh, club in that school is they look at it like, oh, it's a white club or, you know what I'm saying, black folks is not something that shouldn't, some black folks should be in. But at the same time, you got to convert that energy into a positive. And to be able to do that is look past what they're actually giving. The, the outside and what you see on a natural is something that's going to fool you at all times. You can't always look at your color or anything because once you feed off that energy, they're going to continue to give you that energy. Until somebody out there is willing to stand to make that change, I'm I'm going to say, to be honest with you, the ratio from whites and blacks in that club mm-hmm. it was probably a 35, you know. But at the same time, other when people don't see their own type of skin, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I know there's people out there that do this. People that see more of their color, they don't want to go and, you know, and be in that group or, you know, interact with them because of, you know, the ratio of it. And when if y'all know the definition of ratio, is basically saying, like, I know there's a lot of people that don't understand the word ratio, but I'm pretty sure y'all do. Ratio is more like you got more of this. Okay, let's say females and males, right? Let's say you got 10 males and two females. The ratio, ratio is just, like, ratio is just a fraction. It's just a comparison. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Right. I just want to break that down for them as well. Thank you for that, you know, breaking the way down. down. But, um, yeah, part of that, it was really weird because it was like, oh, I had black friends. It was like, oh, so you and you, what you doing at club? Ain't they a little racist? I'm like, no, it's actually fun if you go out there and open up and um, work with your peers and not just look at it as a race thing. Because once you look at it as a race thing, you constantly pulling that race card every time you go out there, then how would you be successful in the real world? Um, see, I'm sorry. Um, but I thank you for your insight. Thank you for, um, you know, jumping into the conversation. I really appreciate, um, your presence, but, you know, since we're on the topic of systemic oppression, um, you know, I think something that we really do need to talk about is sexism because, you know, with everything that you're saying and the way that you're saying it, I feel like you're mansplaining um, these issues to us. And just, you know, I know that you're new, so for a little clarification, all of us are members of a Black Lives Matter um, youth council within our city. And so, yeah, we're all um, very familiar with these issues and, you know, the whole race card thing. Um, As a Black person, as a Black female, to be more specific, Every aspect of my life is of our lives are influenced by race. So the whole not pulling the race card thing, it sounds kind of um, it sounds really white. You feel me? It sounds like something that a supremacist would say, oh, you can't pull the race card for everything. Well, of course, a supremacist would say that because their race doesn't, you know, stop them from succeeding in life. Their race is holding them back. And, you know, we're talking about systemic oppression. We're really just recognizing the fact that these things like racism, um, like a person's race, their sexual identity, their gender really do impact all aspects of their life. Um, so thank you for mentioning that. Uh, but Alicia, you just joined. You want to say something? 
Yeah, I really liked how you put it um, about how it is just speaking on, like, you're just regurgitating white supremacy at that point if you think race doesn't matter. And let's take the point that people love to say that, oh, well, black people are millionaires. That's that's amazing. That's fantastic. But you have to realize that the black working class still exists. The amount of people that make it are very small. And that is a problem with systematic uh, systemic oppression is that it'll still exist no matter how many millionaires no matter what their color is and it doesn't change because of that this system wasn't designed for black people it was never designed for us to be like successful or accomplished and we know that we see that in books we see that in our history and we see that when white people did things like higher taxes and purposely make things in their systems and laws in like the since the 30s to not let black people own houses, to not let them own land, to not let them do anything so badly that they never even abolished slavery to the point that they then incarcerated black people doing so to gain money from their labor. We will always be seen as just something that can be used and commodified for white people, for white supremacy. And when we regurgitate these white supremacy ideals that race doesn't matter, we minimize our struggles. We minimize what we've gone through to get here. And we can't just say that race doesn't matter. Race will always matter. Even when it's gone, it'll. we had to get rid of it for it to be gone. So, you right. know, it really is hard to just hear somebody who is Black like I am say that it doesn't matter. My race has always mattered, even when I didn't want it to. And it does, and it affects a lot. Thank you, Alicia. Um, go off. And, you know, but going back to the whole integrating yourself into white spaces, I feel like um, white people in general, like when they do see a black person or a person of color reiterating some of their own personal convictions, they kind of put y'all on a pedestal and make y'all seem like you guys are... Um, you know, more valuable than everyone else within your group simply because you agree with what they're saying. And what it really is is just, like, performativeness. It really is. And then from there, it kind of does, you know, cause, you know, these individuals to indirectly, you know, start to hate themselves or start start to seek white validation. And I think, you know, that is, yes, yeah, tokenization. Um, thank you, Jennifer. That's like really the core of it. But, you know, but integration is not about being amongst white people. It's really just about um, equal opportunity, equal resources. That's really what integration is for. And when I was saying that we should be separated and not segregated. I mean that we should have equal resources and equal opportunity, but in separate spaces simply because, you know, black people, we are not the, obviously we aren't the same as white people. And I think that we should be learning our own history. We should be cultivating ourselves and growing, you know, as individuals, as, you know, one whole community, as opposed to being integrated into these white spaces. And then, you know, um, obviously, you know, starting to believe these supremacist ideals simply because we're amongst them. Um, and, you know, um, well, I don't want you to think that we're attacking you, but um, we kind of just have to pinpoint these things in conversations like this to really, you know, analyze these things. Like, that's the purpose of this podcast, um, and that's the purpose of this episode. But I'm going to let you um, talk now, so go ahead. And then Kenya wanted to talk. Uh, what you just said, uh, you said attack can never attack someone unless you are really, you know, really mean it. But you can never attack nobody when you are speaking. Right. A conversation. So, you know, I had to get that straight. But that's all I had to say, really. 
Okay, Kenya, you could go next. Also, since we're on the topic of like talking about clubs and stuff that are mostly populated by white individuals, what I really want to like bring light to is that it's so hard not to bring race into those type of situations when you're surrounded by people that don't look like you. And then when you show them, like, you feel like you have to prove yourself. And when they see that, like, oh, like, oh, you're not quote unquote like them, which I find so irking. It irks my nerves when people say that because it's like you come in, you let's say you come into a situation where there's nobody that looks like you. So you're already automatically on the fence. You're already putting a guard up. And I feel like we just need to stop trying to fit into white standards and like go into white spaces and create our own. That's why I feel like the separation part is important. You know, you will die trying to achieve whiteness, try to put your black self to the standard of white people. You're going to kill yourself doing that. So instead of that, take it somewhere else, create a space where it's people that look like you. You know, and I feel like we just need to get away from that. Like, we really honestly need to get away from it. And also, for the people that do assimilate, I kind of, I feel bad for them because they're not at fault. When you have white people that create spaces where they hold whiteness to superiority or, quote, let's let's really talk about it. Like, when you talk, quote unquote, or you talk really well, that equates to being superior to, to then somebody that doesn't look like you that knows how to code switch. You know what I'm saying? We need to stop allowing them to tear us apart. Like, I hate when people use the word ghetto because that's not ghetto. I'm just being me. You know what I'm saying? And when people, when we start to use these words and we use them against each other, you're giving them exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. You're giving them exactly what they want. So instead of trying to fit into white spaces, make your own, you know, because you can still be great. You can still be black and excellent without having to adhere to white standards. That's all I want to say. I.e., this podcast is space for black people, people of color. And obviously, we don't have any white individuals here. And I feel like that's a this is a great example of creating your own spaces. Um, so, you know, from this, we can move on, I think, to colorism do you guys want to move on to colorism or sexism because i kind of touched on mansplaining um and there's definitely a lot there but you know colorism kind of like flows with racism so whichever one y'all want to talk about whoever could go next um open ground oh ivan you wanted to go yeah it wasn't on colorism it was on um something like the topic that we were on before it was kenya and i think it was amina who said that like oftentimes a lot of people try and say like oh wow you speak very well uh considering where you're from and it's like it's so disrespectful (laughs) it really is when i went to dc and i went to you know talk to a bunch of people from cnn from c-span uh fox and whatnot uh every time i'd give a speech or i'd ask a question they'd always tell me that I spoke very well considering my where I'm from and I'm like what's that supposed to mean <laughs> what is that supposed to mean stuff like that is very demeaning but if we understand where we come from or what our ancestors have had to do in order to be in order for us to be in the place where we are today while it isn't great and while a lot of us are still fighting 
we got to take what our ancestors did and, you know, bring it up to the next level and keep fighting and keep fighting as we're doing right now. And I just want to say I'm proud of you all for doing that. Thank you. Um, But, you know, going back to colorism, um, so basically, you got, I'm sure that you guys are familiar with this, with the whole um, light skin, dark skin thing. Um, that really started, I believe that really started um, on the plantation because, you know, the whole, all the light skin um, enslaved people would work in the house while the dark skin enslaved people would work um, on the on the field and yes um like Mari was saying red bone yellow bone things like that um it is very dehumanizing in itself and it is also you know exercising you know whiteness if you're closest to white then you know you're more valuable than your darker skin counterpart um and so yeah being um a dark skin you know, individual, I have, you know, recognized these things, especially when it comes to pretty privilege and things of that nature is really just like, I can't help, you know, what color um, I am or what color I've grown to be. And I feel like sometimes people don't recognize the privilege that they do have when it comes to colorism, especially because they just see it as, oh, well, I'm just pretty just because, or they don't really recognize that people treat them differently simply because they are light-skinned. Um, and so, yeah, does anybody want to piggyback off of that, give their little two cents on that? Um, anybody could go. It doesn't matter. You could just unmute yourself and start talking. <laughs> in the industry a, a lot of light skins uh make a lot of white people feel comfortable uh to have them on camera with someone like that you know so a lot of people they would say that oh kendrick and his girl uh he's just with her because she's light skin and he's gonna get more tv time or more time on screen or he's gonna be more accepted in the community however that's not um the case necessarily because they've been together since high school you know but that that's something that I'm really glad that even though I don't agree with in that scenario that they pointed it out because then you're able to look at other things in the media, other things in, you know, uh, really everywhere and really realize like, wow, light skins really do get like better treatment. That's why um, Kyra and Mari uh, and Kenya taught me to, you know, check my privilege and keep in mind that like, I'm light skin, so I'm not going through the same, you know, things that someone who is dark skin, someone who is black would go through, and I appreciate them for that, and, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, Alicia, you could go next. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to say that um, on the, like, note that you said, light skins make white people more comfortable white people are not comfortable with black people at all like <laughs> i guess sometimes like there's privilege within our own community and the media but like in a general sense i just don't think that that like notion is completely true but i do agree that in the media there's a serious like colorism problem but when it comes to casting like i just don't see that they do favor light skins i will agree with that but it's just like in general black people do make white people uncomfortable regardless and that light skins are like you know black and i'm yeah i just i just wanted to right um 
and you know the whole propaganda aspect of colorism and you know racism of you know oppression um sometimes they do have you know lighter skinned black people representing the whole community but i think that what really separates us or really keeps the whole you know light skin dark skin war the whole pref quote unquote preference thing alive is the separation um the individualism that we internalize the whole you know oh well dark-skinned people thinking like oh well you don't have it as bad as i do because you're light-skinned and at the end of the day like alicia was saying we're all black um white people are racist white people are uncomfortable in all black people's presence regardless of how palatable we are for them um so i think that that's a big thing to recognizing a big thing to reflect on is the at the end of the day we all are having you know similar experiences and that really is the core of recognizing the collective the fact that it is collective and that we are all connected and that we do experience similar things like that but in the same breath you do have to recognize your privilege because you are you know white passing so i think that you know just recognize the fact that you do have privilege and that you most likely are biased is a very huge thing and is a very um strong step toward enlightenment toward consciousness so Layla you wanted to go next go ahead yes I was gonna say um you know when it comes to like the European beauty standards the whiter you are the prettier you are but what's unique about like colorism is that we see so many people say like Kim Kardashian and like a bunch of people piggybacking off of black um, culture, culture appropriation. And so it's so unique that people who get all this work done to, you know, the big lips, the nice thick bodies, like this is really like what black and brown people look like. But yet, you know, we can't love them for who they are and their skin, but yet we can try to be them. And so like, I think that like also plays a role when it comes to like colorism too, because we want to sit here and like, you know, diminish black and brown people, but yet at the same time, love their features but like not on them but on us and right. you know that's like a huge thing and I also want to talk about like colorism within like the Arab community because like I'm Arab and so like you know we non-black Arabs especially like those of us with proximity to whiteness have played an immense role in the anti-blackness and colorism which pervades our communities and you know contributes to the degradation of black people uh-huh. and I just in general like Arabs need to stop playing the we're all minorities card and really just get to work like it shouldn't take black people dying for us to care about black lives and like anti-blackness is what this country was founded upon and has its roots in every corner and every system and every institution and structure and you know it doesn't start and with the United States and so like I feel like us speaking on this and you know coming into our communities like me and doing the work within my Arab community is a huge thing for like people outside of the black and brown community. Um, Cause you know, like when it comes to like allyship, it's not really me going into black and brown communities and talking about the things I know. Cause it's like, you know more than me because you live on this. What right. is, is me going to my community and correcting them and helping them understand what racism is and really how to tackle that. And like the roots of anti-blackness in Arab communities can be traced all the way back to the Arab slave trade. Like it affects and they're still prevalent with the corrupt system of domestic work in the Arab world. Like we see today in Libya, like they're having a whole um, slave trade system. And um, these branches can be seen in the lingering and ever present um, anti-blackness that many of our communities harbor. Um, And I think that's a huge thing, like the anti-blackness in the Arab communities, like they they're very racist. And 
you know, then they want to scream free Palestine and they want to scream save Syria. But it's like when it comes to like people outside of like Arab communities, it's like, oh, wow, like look at their color, look at their race. But it's like, but what happened? You're aren't you oppressed as well? And I think like the huge thing is, is like once we realize that it's a bigger system and all of these systems of corruption are working together that all oppress people once they finally work together and really help each other out and hold each other's hands we could really come to this, but like, it's not going to stop unless we help the most oppressed, which are black and brown people. Yes, definitely. Um, Jen, you wanted to go next? Yes. Uh, Layla, you took the words right out of my mouth. Like you articulated it so um, correctly. And I just wanted to add on because I am, I identify as Latina. I am first generation Mexican, Amer- uh, Mexican American, um, and within not only like the Mexican community, but the Latino community in general, I can definitely say that there is a lot of colorism and racism within the Latino community. Um, you can see colorism prevails in every single country. Um, the lighter that you are, the more privileged that you are. The lighter that you are, the more like that you are. The When you're like close to whiteness and um, your skin tone is like, close proximity to European features and and whiteness people treat you differently um and this happens like to me because I am white passing and like my parents aren't so people tend to treat us differently and there's a lot of Latinos who don't understand that there's a lot of Latinos who scream oh I'm not racist I'm black but then continue to um not identify as black continue to be racist continue to be colorist um, and you can even see it with the media, like Univision, Telemundo, like all these um, TV stations, all these all these um, media stations, they only cast white passing Latinos. And that's a problem. You see people wanting to whiten their skin and bleach their skin just to be closer to whiteness. And that is a big problem. So there's definitely a big colorism um, problem within um, the Latino community. And that needs to be addressed first before um Latinos say oh we're oppressed too um right. like Layla was saying we need to come to uh, together and acknowledge and establish an anti-racist um you know mission and realize that we cannot be um liberated until the most oppressed are liberated and right. yeah can I just add something real quick on that note with Jennifer what you said about <clears throat> anti-blackness in the Hispanic community I definitely face that because Dominican Republic is like notoriously known for that and growing up I didn't know that because I assumed that because I was like in like a sense in a Hispanic sense like on the darker side of like the color I never like noticed it but then I started to notice that people would make comments whether it was words in Spanish and then they said oh well that's not an offensive word it's just how we talk in Spanish and it would basically be like the n-word but in Spanish Um, and it's like just really hurtful because um we don't realize that the majority of the people in the Hispanic community that get hurt in places like Cuba are black Hispanics, are indigenous communities. And it's like the assimilation that Hispanics want to have is that they want to be so close to in proximity to whiteness that they don't even take into consideration that black Hispanics are being discriminated against. They make laws to discriminate against them, to not have their voices be heard in places like Colombia and Cuba, and now even DR with their new criminal code where they can discriminate based on your skin color. And I saw it a lot in my own family too, with like 
how like some of my siblings who are like darker than me they don't get treated the same or how some of them will make comments that are very like highly offensive and they don't even see it that way because to hispanics they say oh well we're not white so how can we be racist mm-hmm. and it's like it's like yo like you're not getting it like it's just wrong but yeah i just i can say with full confidence that my mom is racist and there's a lot of racist things that happen inside uh families that really are difficult to break especially since that's the way that they're raised around and like alicia said like a lot of times they think that oh just because i'm not this i can't be racist like oh hell no you definitely are you 100 percent are a lot of them i remember when i was talking about like free palestine that's and i'm still talking about it and i'm still screaming it because you know those those are my those are my friends who believe in that so naturally i'm gonna believe in it too right i remember when i was doing that and i still am uh a lot of a lot of you know family members of mine they're like aren't you in black lives matter though why are you like you know talking about free palestine when you're in black lives matter and then when i joined black lives matter even though i've been screaming black lives matter since before i even knew that there was one in patterson like you know an organization they were telling me why are you in black lives matter if you're not black or if why are you in Black Lives Matter if we're if we're Hispanic or we're Latino? You know, like you need you need to be going for Latinos Lives Matter, not that. And I'm like, what are you even um, talking about? It, you know, like yeah, that's that's a little that's a little off. Um, it's racist. That's what it is. They're racist or they're no, ignorant. Which well, is the same I mean, obviously that's racist, but I was referring to um, <laughs> you kind of like outing your mom. Um, I'm glad hey, that worry, you recognize like the fact, huh? Don't worry, I don't like her. I don't talk to her. Oh, you know what? It, you know, sometimes it, you know it be like that. But I'm glad that you're recognizing, you know, some of the racist individuals within your family, um, and that you're trying to unlearn um, some of these biases and things of that nature. Uh, but Kenya, you wanted to go next? Yeah, um, I just wanted to make a point that, like, no matter what shade that you come in, like, black comes in all shades, but also don't let that statement, right? I hate when people weaponize that statement, right? To try to, like, disprove that colorism runs so deep in our community. Like, it's to the fact where, oh, I won't, like, I'll hear things like, oh, I don't want to go outside. Like, I'm going to get too dark. Why you don't want to get too... What you want to get dark for? You're still dark. You're dark as hell anyway. But that doesn't make right. you any less beautiful or less than. Yes. So I feel like, yeah, like, we could say all these things. Yes, black does come in all different shades. But when it comes from the darker side of the spectrum, we get the short end of the six always. Exactly. It's in music, it's in videos, it's even in our beauty supply stores. When I go into beauty supply stores, by the way, our beauty supply stores are not owned by black people, by the way. When right. you go in there and you profit off of black people and they follow you around the store, but they got that can of Carol White. And for those who don't know what Carol White is, it is a bleach bleaching product that people use to bleach their skin. It's mm-hmm. that deep. I, anybody of any age can go in that store and go get a can of Carol White, a little jar of Carol White. And I feel like when it comes to colorism, I feel like it, it runs so deep and people, people, it's so like normalized. I don't want to say normalized, but it has been normalized to a point where 
people say stuff and they don't even understand that what they're saying is correct. Like they think it's not harmful, but when you grow up hearing like, "Oh, you need to get out," that's on you. You you turn you be you dark as hell. You oh, I'm turning off the light and I can't see you. It's literally everywhere, and you cannot escape it. I know, like being in school, people crack jokes. Like I know, little white girls come up to me, be like, they went on vacation, got their little cornrows and beads from DR, come back, oh, "Oh, it's almost the same color as you. Like that's not funny. That's annoying. Like I feel like when it comes to colorism, you just cannot escape it. Really so, can. like, it really gets so tiring having, like, people have these conversations and want to bring up the point that, oh, black comes in all shades. Yeah, we're not talking about your blackness. I'm not going to debate your blackness with you because right. you are black. But don't act like the fact that you are on the lighter part of the spectrum and as somebody who's on the darker side, we kind of go through two different walks of life when it comes to that aspect. So, right. I just wanted to add that. And, you know, um, Colorism and, you know, racism obviously are, you know, deeply intertwined. And, you know, going back to the whole um, beauty supply thing and, you know, non-black people owning these stores and these franchises and then obviously profiting off of the black dollar, but then in the same breath treating us like criminals when we're literally the ones that are putting food on your table. Um, Literally the other day, I went into this beauty supply store that was in um, Center City Mall because, mind you, me and my aunt, we're just trying to waste time. Um, my cousin, I'm gonna braid her hair soon, so we needed some braiding hair. So we went to the store, whatever. We're chilling. We're having a great day. Then, as I walk past the counter to go to the back to look at the hair, the lady, um, she's Asian by the way. She's just looking at me, and she's staring me down. And then I'm looking at her. I'm like, okay, so maybe she just like trying to see me because I have my hood on or whatever. Um. But then as I continue walking, she's behind me. So I turned around and I shook my head and then I walked a little bit more and then she was still following me. So I went all the way to the front. I was like, D, let's go. She following me like I made it known that I was uncomfortable with her um, being behind me. And then it was a Hispanic girl that was also working there. She was an employee. And then she tried to, was like, oh, well, can I help you with something? Like, you know, trying to be nice about it because she obviously saw that we were offended. And then I was like, yeah, we were about to spend all this money on hair. But since you follow her now, we're not spending nothing here. And then the lady tried to stand by the door to see if I, like, put anything in my pocket or something. It's like, girl, relax. Like, nobody wants to steal from your little crusty store anyway. Um... But yeah, colorism is definitely more than skin deep. It does. And then, you know, the whole propaganda thing, it does have a lot to do with um, biased characteristics. You feel what I'm saying? Like the darker you are, the more aggressive that people expect you to be. And therefore, the more palatable that you have to be to be accepted into society. And it's not even just about... um, you know, being accepted is literally survival. Like, if I don't talk to my non-black teachers in a certain tone, in a certain way, is gonna they're gonna take it as you know me attacking them, or they're gonna get defensive about it. Obviously, because they're white. And so, you know, with that being said, um, yeah, colorism definitely isn't just skin deep, but does have a lot of other underlying effects that comes along with it. And, you know, going back to the whole skin bleaching thing, um, when people start to bleach their skin, they're literally hating their 
image so much to the point where they feel like they need to change it with, you know, chemical products. And that's very damaging, like, not just physically, not just, you know, speaking on, you know, health wise, but internally, like, how, how can you make a person hate themselves so much to the point where they're willing to face, you know, skin disease just to, you know, fit into society. And again, it's not just about being more palatable for white people or being more palatable for non-black people. It's, you know, sometimes literally about survival. Sometimes, you know, people just are not going to accept a dark-skinned person into their space. And so then people started to bleach their skin. Um, Colorism definitely does have a lot to do with hair as well. And, you know, going back to the whole cornrows thing, um, the texture of, you know, the typical black person's hair isn't accepted. And so that's when people started to, that's when black women specifically and also black men don't get me wrong started to perm their hair to be again more palatable more acceptable but it wasn't just about being more accepted it was about literally surviving um there was a thing called like the pencil test or something and literally if they put a pencil in your hair and it sticks then you couldn't you know be into that you weren't welcome into that space you like literally had to get out so then they if you put the pencil in your hair and it like obviously falls out because it's too straight or too silky like it can't hold it then it's like okay you're okay you can sit here or whatever the case was and you know with you know black people learning to love their hair more and where you know recircling back to doing you know our braided styles and things of that nature now white people and non-black people feel the need that to participate in our culture when you were the ones who condemned in the first place you were the ones that made me hate myself so so much to the point where i started damaging my hair where i started putting chemicals into my body to seep into my scalp um you know a lot like a lot of people had a lot of you know other um health effects that came with bleaching their skin that came with perming their hair but people don't talk about it because you know people not just because people don't know about it but people don't talk about it because it was literally what they had to do to survive and I feel like with us you know circling back to braided styles with us you know learning to love the texture of our hair now other people want to participate in our culture and that goes into cultural appropriation and that's definitely going to be an episode um this season so stay tuned for that Um, But, you know, we can briefly move on to the next form of systemic oppression, which is sexism, being that the majority of this organization, the majority of the people within this um, room right now are female, um, do identify as women. Um, Yeah, let's just speak on sexism. Layla, you want to start? Okay, sure. So... I'm going to just keep bringing this back to, like, what I know best, which is, like, you know, Palestine. And I'm going to, um, you know, show an example when it comes to, like, the black women. So I feel like when everything was kind of, like, popping off of Palestine, it was becoming, like, really, like, known. And people were becoming more introduced to what was going on. I feel like a lot of, you know, the Palestinian community were kind of expecting a lot of the black community to speak up on, you know, the social issues and I feel like a lot of them were kind of using that. I did it for you. Where where are you now? And, you know, I think that when it comes to, like, Black women and Black people in general, but especially Black women, they need their rest. And I feel like if you are going to speak up for Black Lives Matter, you need to do it because 
on a biological standpoint, we're all human. And so if you speak up for BLM, it shouldn't be because you want them to speak up for you when there's an, an injustice act upon your people. And so um, aside from that, too, I also wanted to talk about, well, you know, I don't really want to speak too much on um, black women because, you know, I'm not black and I don't identify as black. So mm -hmm. I'll leave it like as that when it comes to like expecting of the black woman and what she should do. I think it's like more of like they just need to rest. And I think that they don't even have the mental capacity to handle like what they're going through, let alone another person. And I feel like that's what like, you know, I had to like talk to that to a lot of Palestinians to, for, to, to get them to realize that it's like when you're fighting for injustices, when you're fighting for a revolution, it shouldn't be, you know, you do something for me and I do something for you, something in return, because that's not genuine. And that's not going to get us to a revolution. That's going to get us to divide. And so, you know, it was kind of like almost exhausting to see because in itself, that's also being anti-black. <laughs> like yeah. you, you're expecting of somebody to fight for you is also anti-black. And it's like, why are you going to black women or black people in general? Why don't you go to the white people? Why don't the people who are still in itself, white supremacists still in itself holding white supremacy, go to those? Why would you go to, you know, the most oppressed group of all to fight for you? And to me, it's like, that's where it's like, we need to start like self-reflecting when we start thinking of like, who do we expect to talk about issues like this? And who do we expect to defend us? Right. Um, and, you know, piggybacking off of what you just said, I feel like people expect, you know, black women to be at the forefront of every movement um, because black women are so over-masculinized. And what I mean by that is like masculine. Well, let's just talk about men. Because obviously, you know, that's what I'm referring to when I say masculine. Um, but basically, men are expected to be the protectors of the household or the protectors of their people. They're expected to be the breadwinners. They're supposed to be the backbone to, you know, um, their family or whatever the case may be. So in over-masculinizing um, Black women, those same expectations are put onto Black women, especially, you know, dark-skinned Black women. And then, you know, going back to the whole, you know, being palatable thing, um, Black women in general are expected to be strong black women like not i can't just be black and a woman like i can't just have to deal with racism and sexism sexism but i also have to be strong for not only myself but for everyone in my family everyone in my community and as well as every other person within society every other marginalized group every other oppressed group and you know again that just goes with the expectation of us being the backbone to everything the expectation of us being the backbone uh, the expectation of us being the spokesperson for every um you know movement to be at the forefront of every movement even if it's one that has nothing to do with us even if it's not our own um but Mari, you could go next because you just joined and welcome and hello to all the other people who are also joining um below right hey 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 everybody um thank you for having me but just to piggyback off of that um the stereotypical strong independent black single mother um the strong and 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 you know emotionless single you know black woman i feel like that is so detrimental because that that keeps us from being vulnerable that keeps us from being protected and that keeps us from opening up and letting our guard down we're expected to be at the forefront for lgbtq blm palestine and i get it you know we should be in solidarity but we should not be expected to lead these movements we should you know, we should be expected to do as much as we can possible and stand in solidarity or 
participate, but we should not be held to a inhumane standard where we're perfect, where we can carry the team, where we can do everything. Because like you said, we are the back spine. We are the blueprint. And I feel like a lot of people take that for advantage and they don't realize that we are human as well. They don't realize that we need a break as well. They don't realize that being as a black woman or a black trans woman or a black Muslim woman, those are added barriers that a lot of people Oh, you got cut out. Um, but yes, you were going all period. Um, who can I? Uh, yes, Kenya. So I think the word that we're looking for is misogynoir when we're talking about sexism towards black women. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it just means that the misogyny that's directed towards black women, where race and gender both play roles in certain types of biases. So personally, when we're talking about misogynoir and we're talking about black women, it is the way that black women cannot be feminine or be seen as feminine because people inherently think that they're masculine. And if we're going back into colorism, that's where misogynoir stems from. The fact that being lighter skin or, you know, being closer to whiteness makes you more pure and more clean as to where being darker makes you more dirty or unpure. Going back yeah, into misogynoir, you're constantly in a battle where you either have to be hyper-feminine to show people that you're not masculine, mm-hmm. but in the same sense, people think you're overcompensating and you never can escape from the fact that you're only going to ever be seen as masculine. And people right. continue to push you into these roles where you have to be the the louder person, they're the you know, the one who's the biggest in the room and continue to fight battles for people who will never, ever do the same for you. So I think when we're talking about this conversation, we definitely have to talk about misogynoir and how it affects us. Because growing up, you know, you see pictures and videos of these little black girls going to these protests and people saying how they're so brave and, oh, she's going to grow up to be a strong, black, loud, black woman. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is a child. She should be living her life as a child going out and having fun, not fighting battles for grown people. This is a little Mm -hmm. girl. She should be able to have fun. And I feel like when we talk about sexism for black women, it's definitely different. It's a whole different ballgame as for sexism for any other type of other group of women. We definitely feel like, well, me, I'm not going to speak for the whole majority of black women because being being black is not my life. So personally, me... I feel like I'm constantly in battle with having to be over feminine or if I'm not meeting a certain standard of femininity, I'm not a woman. Right. You know, and I'm not going to say that this all like we all definitely have a role in it. But I just want to point out that a lot of the times the own like our own families the own men in our community they don't make it any better not saying that it is their own like personal fault but having videos of where oh i only date light skins with curly hair and this that and the third and making comments to darker skinned women and making them feel less than just for the fact that they're dark skin having these color preferences it does not make it better in any in any sense it just furthers the like ideology of misogynoir it just makes it completely worse and i feel like if we all hold each other accountable and continue to have these conversations we can definitely do something about it but if we're talking about sexism from for black women is definitely 
it's definitely deeper. And I think right. the word that all looking for a misogynoir. So thank you for that. Um, and yeah, you know, when we say sexism, we typically just think of, you know, inequality in the workplace or, you know, men over explaining things um, that are literally obvious, like earlier when the guy was literally trying to explain what a ratio was as if we're all not grown and having this conversation, like not grown, grown, you know what I mean, though. Um, but yeah, it's it definitely does have. Oh, it's, it definitely is a whole different ballgame when you're talking about black women. But at the same time, um, we do need to recognize the fact that even though, you know, black women are experiencing, you know, racism and sexism simultaneously, at the end of the day, you still need to recognize our femininity and in over masculinizing us, you're taking away from our womanhood. And this doesn't just go for cisgender um, black women. This also goes for transgender black women. And, you know, I'm not going to speak too much on their experience simply because I'm not a trans black woman. And I do recognize that as a cisgender person, I do have privilege in the sense that, you know, I'm not I'm very rarely misgendered and things of that nature that you know my life isn't necessarily put on the line because of my gender identity but I just say that to say that both trans women and black women experience um over masculinization of course is not to the same extent as trans women um but you know it definitely is a collective we definitely are connected and and recognizing the fact that you know, black women in general are, you know, continuously over masculinized simply because we might be darker or simply because our features are more bold than, you know, non-black people. I think, you know, that's where this unlearning really starts just getting to the core of these things. And this also ties into colorism. Like Layla was mentioning before, you want light skin, but you want them to have black features. Um, talking to, you know, reflecting on celebrities like Kim K. She's obviously white, but then she does stuff like have boxer braids or, you know, acrylic nails. And people might be like, well, it's just nails. But like black women invented that. You know, I think that's a lot of times we forget is that black women literally are the blueprint and not just black women, black femmes in general. We literally are the blueprint for a lot of things that, you know, have been, you know, turned to just general aspects of culture or whatever. No, this is a part of black feminine culture. And again, in recognizing that you recognize our femininity, you recognizing our womanhood. Um, but does anybody else have anything to say about sexism, generally speaking, or about, you know, sexism pertaining to black women specifically? I say commonly, like, I'm a man, right? But I've been uh -huh. surrounded by women all my life, so I'm speaking on behalf of them. And, you know, when they cry to me because they feel like they can't be strong enough because of a standard that they're held to. Who? Cool. Uh, family, friends. Literally, I... Wait, you mean, I'm I'm not, like, family or friends. I mean in the sense, like, um, you're speaking on men not being able to express themselves or no, women not women. being able to express themselves. Women. You said what? Women. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are being held to such a, like, indescribably high standard. And it it gets very disheartening when you get to know a person, you really get to see their experiences. And then, even though you're not holding them to a standard, a lot of people uh, make 
them feel less than who they are just because of what they've been taught from other people if that makes sense Mm -hmm. you're not you don't know this person but you're expecting so much out of them that either they weren't prepared in that moment to deliver because they didn't know that's what you were expecting and by the way you should never have to compromise or change the way you are just to make yourself feel more loved and accepted there's it, it's just so disheartening and it plays a, a big role in both anxiety and also in body dysmorphia um it, it plays a big role in that because i know a lot of people that i've met in my life as they were growing up uh myself included but i'm not going to talk about myself but like trying to hide our trying to hide their features uh to make themselves seem more feminine with european standard or okay like you like you said more feminine you know and they'll beat themselves up about it and they'll cry about it in their room and it's like i'm i'm so sorry even though it's not my fault like i wish it was something i could do and as a man what i because a lot of people ask me like why do i fight so hard to help my female friends and my family have a voice when i'm not a woman but it's because like i when I have like such a bad experience with women in like my upbringing and the way I was raised mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But that's because like, I know and I recognize that I'm just a very, very big rarity when it comes to women in my life. And I know that um, commonly a lot of people see their mother or, you know, their grandma as someone who is very important mm-hmm. to them. So that's why me personally, even though I don't have a good experience uh, growing up, but also like if i can add i love when men enter the conversation and you know acts and what they want to do and what they can help yeah but a lot of them draw the line at just being nice to women that's not just just be nice yes you have to apply yourself you have to throughout your it's not just you know listening to a girl talk about a man who uh-huh. you know did her super dirty but then turn around and have the same traits as that man and do exactly what they did to another girl exactly. but not to the girl that you were talking to because you have a relationship with her it is giving the same respect to all types of women regardless of what you went through because all women are not the same we don't all have the same mindset or you know have the same traits but also if we're really going to talk about it i cannot stand when you know men and i'm not making this like a you know i hate men thing no that's not what this is about and if you think that's what it's about then you kindly we don't need your input on the situation but what i'm saying is i don't like when men come into the conversation and give bare minimum and think they're doing god like you're given exactly what it's supposed to give you're giving bare minimum and that's good but let's build on that you know like i can't stand and listen to it just go on and on and on and regurgitate things that women have been saying for years yes for years on different platforms and they love they love to speak over women and you know regurgitate and mansplain all these types of things but we've been screaming this for years and you just don't want to listen because you're a man and i'm not like you won't be able to relate but you can sit and you can understand you know right but just because you can't relate doesn't mean that you can't get into it you know so don't let that discourage y'all from getting into these conversations but also like jen said also women and non-binary people deserve to sit in these 
I'm guessing she means to sit in on these conversations because it's their right to be treated with respect, as right. they should. And I feel like when we talk about sexism and, you know, stuff like that, we tend to only focus on the cisgendered aspect uh-huh. of it. But we need to also let these non-binary and trans women and trans men come and sit in on these conversations because nine times out of ten, it is their, you know, lives that are being put on the line for things that we already have, but they have yet to get. And they right. have been around for as long as we've been around, you know, like exactly. I hear people try to act like the concept of trans women and trans men and non-binary people are just a, you know, 2010 Something thing. New. No, yep. it's in history and it's throughout everything. And if you sit here and you disregard these people and have them sit out on these conversations where when these bills are being passed about bathrooms and, you know, having to completely, you know, go through your transition before you even get recognized as what you've always been your whole life. Right. We have to, we have to have them sitting on these conversations. But I just wanted to add that, like, just being nice to women is not enough. Just being nice to a few women is not enough. Right. Just having a girl best friend and being able to console her for the minute is not enough. It's when you hear your your guy friends or even women too, but I'm focused on the male aspect, having these conversations, saying these things, sharing photos of girls that you know they don't want them being shared, you know, making these lists, making these group chats, calling them out, that's being a good ally. You know, not you don't have to sit in front of a crowd at a walk and, you know, say whatever you're gonna say, you know, and speak over thousands of women there. Because we don't need to hear that. I'd rather have you put it into action than you just tell me all these stories about how you did this, that, and the third. Once you put it into action, I feel like that's the best way to go about it. Right. I feel like for any men listening inside the audience, one thing that we really need to do as a collective, as you know, is when you're listening to your sister or your, your best friend or just anybody, anybody at all who's talking to you about a man or somebody who is treating them with disrespect or really anything like cheating or just, you know, gaslighting, you really got to take that into consideration on the way that you live your life. So when you hear about that kind of stuff, you got to stop it. When you see your friends talking about like, Oh, did you see this chick? It's like, yo, stop looking at that person down the street. That's a person. You don't look at, don't look at them in that way. Stop sexualizing people. Stop treating people with such disrespect. You know what I mean? You gotta like stop people when they're not there around you. Right. And you gotta help make sure that the people around you, like like the men around you, understand where you stand in the situation. If they're gonna talk about something uh disrespectful towards women or really about anybody, to not talk about it around you. Um thank you for that. Um I really did want to touch on a few more things like ableism, transphobia, homophobia, but I obviously do don't want to speak over um people within those communities for the simple fact that, you know, I'm not a part of it so I don't experience these things firsthand. I will, you know, add a few more things at the end of this episode. I will, um, you know, give you guys a few examples of some disabled activists of trans, um, black trans women who are also activists. 
um, with that being said, you know, we're going to wrap it up from here because I want to make sure that Green Room sends the recording. We're um, really close to the two-hour mark. I definitely think that we should do a part two of systemic oppression simply because this is a very broad topic and we didn't necessarily get to touch on all the things that we wanted to. Um, so stay tuned for more. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you guys so much for joining and all of the um, speakers who joined um, in the midst of the conversation. Thank you, Kenya, Mari, Layla, Ivan, and Jennifer, for um, Alicia as well, for also coming in and, you know, putting your two cents in on the conversation. This was very, you know, enlightening for me. Um, and I hope that it was enlightening for the listeners who are um, sitting at home doing whatever you're doing. And especially for those of you who are privileged, I hope that you did, you know, take this as constructive criticism and that this did, you know, ig- cause you or influence you to recognize some of your own biases. Like I said, we definitely going to do a part two of this um, throughout the season. We are going to, of course, touch on systemic oppression more um both directly and indirectly so thank you guys all for joining That is officially the end of this episode. The trans black activist that I was referring to goes by the name Jade X Badu on social media with two E's. And she is so amazing. I've learned so much from just watching her TikToks. I'm sure that all of you can learn something from her as well. I tried finding a current black disabled activist, but I was having a hard time. So I found an article that shows a list of black civil rights and disability activists. However, the one that um, caught my attention was Fannie Lou Hammer. I'm sure that all of you know her famous saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and although miss hammer is no longer with us i think we should all know who she is because she is black history if you want to learn more about her um you can simply do a google search of her name or read the article that i was referring to titled fanny Lou hammer paving the way for civil rights activists women rights and disability rights movements by center for learner equity.org the source that was used in this episode to define systemic oppression was strictly for educational purposes and that article was titled The Lens of Systemic Oppression from www.nationalequityproject.org. I strongly encourage all of you to read the article in full for a more articulate explanation of systemic oppression, but it doesn't get more real than listening to real life experiences like you have today. If you're still listening, thank you so much for sticking around to the end. Your presence really is appreciated. You're a real one. Don't forget to tell your mama, your grandmama, your cat, your dog to stream Mina's mic on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Follow the Instagram page at Mina's underscore Mike for stream updates, sneak peeks, and to provide audience feedback, peace and love. Bye, y'all.